there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Give Barris a chance, and he's gone for goal! Extraordinary! The shot coming in, oh, and it's there! Gary flicks off the scorer. Gordon Cowens is the man to float and score a terrific goal. Thurston Stats, Hughes and Dodd also forward, and here is Jason Dodd with a chance! Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh he has to! No! Hello, and welcome to Quickly Kevin Will He Score, the 90s football show. I'm Chris Cole. Joining me here is Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And Ron Atkinson at his failed spell at Coventry City. <laughs> it's Michael Marden, director of podcast. I, I don't know whether I want to be compared to Ron Atkinson. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> if the Titanic had been built in Coventry, it wouldn't have gone down. Do you remember when he said that? Yeah, he was. He was. He was, well, he was a man who was very popular until one incident. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. You can't. Really we did actually get a tweet this week. Someone saying we should get Ron Atkinson on, and I and I was sort of torn. Where I went, he would be brilliant, <laughs> but also. Is he racist? Is he toxic? If you think Ron Atkinson is toxic or not, email hello at <laughs> Maybe we'll do a poll. Maybe this is the kind of this is the kind of thing Twitter was invented for. Twitter what if we poll. brought him back into the mainstream? Do we? Want I don't. That? I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, Sky have had him on since. Haven't they? Big Ron manager. Yeah, he's on Man United TV now, but I don't. I don't want. Is that. he? I don't well, want that on our well, hands. The tide is clearly turning. <laughs> <laughs> um, our guest this week is Ivo Graham Josh. It's a very exciting, it's a huge week because we've been sent a copy of Steve Bruce's novel, <laughs> Striker. <laughs> Ivo Graham and I have read it and we'll be going through it. Do you want it's, to give a bit of history about Striker? I mean, not, not that there's lots to tell. <laughs> <laughs> Steve the Bruce, of the Taj Mahal. It's this simple. Steve Bruce wrote a crime novel, <laughs> called it Striker. It's set in the world of football. It's rubbish. <laughs> Let's get on with the correspondence. <laughs> I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Post Bag. You've got mail. Okay, so um, I'm going to start with a, a new news section we've got, which is called Emails About Warren Barton. Early 90s at Prenton Park, home of the as then Championship side Tranmere Rovers. Rovers were playing the Warren Barton led Wimbledon, still in their crazy gang heyday. Before the sides came out, we used to rush to the tunnel to see the sides appear. Out of nowhere, my mate took out of his mouth some luminous green atomic apple flavoured hubba bubba and stuck it to Barton's shoulder. 90 minutes later, we again used to rush back to the tunnel at the final whistle to pick up some treasured tie-ups, the string that keep the players' socks up, only to find the green chewy was still in its place on Warren Barton's shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> this ends, there is no moral to the story, John Moss's head from the Wirral. <laughs> <laughs> you'd think someone would have pointed that out to Barton wouldn't you or he'd have changed shirts but if you think Barton is a victim well I'm, I'm on the way to thinking that I'm going to read you this from Matt from Durham and you judge what you think of Warren Barton 
I'm not judging. <laughs> the reference to Darren Peacock a couple of weeks ago reminded me of a story involving the similar Quaffer's Newcastle teammate Warren Barton. One Halloween, a friend of mine was trick-or-treating around the salubrious housing estate near Durham, where lots of footballers lived, among them Sunderland goalkeeper Thomas Sorensen and Newcastle centre-half Warren Barton. I think he was a full-back. <laughs> <laughs> While Sorensen decided the treat he would dish out would be tubes of Smarties, Warren Barton simply gave out signed photographs of himself. <laughs> Warren Barton. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I mean, that that is... Jeez. I'd say that behaviour is beyond the pale, isn't I it? I don't know if that... Is that better or worse than chocolate and sweets? I think I'd rather have the Warren Barton picture. <laughs> would you? Yeah. <laughs> you actually would like that. Well, it might have some resale value Was on it, there. So it was pre-signed. Is he saying that Warren Barton had pre-signed a bunch of pictures of himself to hand out? So it doesn't... You, unless he was personalising them. Does that count? Well, that's... Yeah, I mean, if he's signing them... Like, what's your name, kid? And he's yeah. signing, uh, Happy Halloween. Love, Warren Barton. <laughs> if, if Warren Barton's handed them out, does that count as a trick? Because <laughs> <laughs> it... I, don't, I would argue it's not a treat. <laughs> I wonder what the psychology like does he think it's a better gift than chocolates or has he forgot it's Halloween looked around the house and gone oh Oh, shit do you think that's yeah maybe Barton's not made like an egocentric decision he's got he's He's up against it. He's just been really busy, double training that day. He's come home. He's not got any treats in the house because he's a footballer. He wants to eat well. Yeah, it's just pasta and loaf-at pizza. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny, I was just thinking, the first famous person I ever met was one of the actors from The Bill. And I met oh. him at Selhurst Park. It was Palace versus West Ham. And uh, I think my dad had got me in a box. And he was he was sharing the box of us. And I was like, oh, it's the guy from The Bill. And I said, like, can I have your autograph? And he just reached into his jacket and pulled out a signed <laughs> pre signed autograph oh wow like the who, was it? who was it I'll have to research it because I'm like he's not one of the memorable reason to tune in next <laughs> week <laughs> yeah but I'll find out who it was but you just think that would be more effort to when you were leaving the house think I should take 10 photos of myself <laughs> yeah. rather than just go I'll just take I, a pen yeah, <laughs> yeah. I met Michaela Strachan once in Waterloo Station when I was a kid that was my first experience of a, a celebrity yeah. And it just it blew my mind that that that, that, that person was real. Like I, 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 particularly Miss Kayla Strachan. <laughs> I think I went into shock slightly. Did you like, ask her for autograph? Yeah. No, I didn't know. I didn't know how to process it. I just my mum said I just shut down. <laughs> <laughs> wow, there we go. I've just read it's, it's Graham Cole who played the role of PC Tony Stamp. Oh yeah, I know him. I know him. I know him. Have you, you got any anecdotes about meeting him and him having pre-signed pictures or a Barton? Please, yeah. there's no. Hello at quicklykevin.com. Yeah. One more. One more. Do you want another meeting of a footballer or someone who has a story about something we talked about prior? Oh, hello. Yeah, they're latter. Okay. Hi all, loving the podcast. Don't need to keep that in, but we will. <laughs> <laughs> this one's for Josh. So, don't worry, it, it does broaden it. So I was listening to the Championship Manager episode a few days ago, and you were discussing the old fancy football game you used to do by post, and that you and your friends entered a competition to design the football stadium. Which one? We remember this? Yes. Well... I am Tom Hyde's brother, and I drew that stadium. <laughs> what? <laughs> so he, it, well, he. So Tom Hyde was the person friend. I entered the competition with. Oh wow! I was really young at the time, but I remember Tom bribing me to draw a stadium that he had designed because I was better at art than him. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, did, Josh, did you not contribute to the drawing? No, of the I, stadium? I did some. He did the other. I thought he did the others. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he offered me a pack of vice versas as payment. <laughs> wow. You wouldn't believe how chuffed I was when you won. 
The only thing I remember from the drawing is that it was the away end was basically just a slab of concrete behind the goal, loosely based on the Exeter City away end, and that the food stall in the away end had an arrow pointing to it that said BSE Pies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lovely 90s reference. Yeah, a bit topical at the time. <laughs> probably, probably, you know, quite a sensitive subject. We thought we'd push the boundaries. <laughs> So you were serving the away fans BSC pies. Wow. Talking about this is like hostile. It's like, welcome to hell. (laughs) Anyway, thought you might like that strange link to your story. Cheers, Jack Hyde. Wow, there we go. Shall we get on with a less successful move into the arc? (laughs) This is Steve Bruce's striker. Two and a half hours to kick off. It all starts to get a bit serious now. Just time to sort out tickets for family and friends. Predict a few scores in the player sweep. That's worth 70-odd quid to the winner. Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin Will He Score, the 90s football show, to Ivo Graham. Hello, Chris. Hello, Josh. Hello, Michael. Hello. First person we've had when he was born in the 90s. Yes. (laughs) Not really uh, suited to this podcast at all. (laughs) I've listened to all of them, but I've then had to research quite a lot of the stuff we've done. (laughs) You're listening to the host of the Naughties Football Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) What's so sad is I thought of that quip, that witty quip that we've all enjoyed um, about uh, about ten minutes ago and on my way in then tried to look up, sort of I was googling famous bits of Naughty's football commentary <laughs> to see what my podcast was because I couldn't think of one that, What that did you get? I couldn't think of any uh, I can't think of any. No. There's not really Much that, football after 1999 no, Well exactly and that's why this is uh, such a such a manna from heaven this podcast <laughs> Um, Aguero, but that's 2012. Oh God, yeah. There's nothing happened in the commentary world for a long time. <laughs> was there any commentary in games? Well, there was a lot of this period. Post 99, there was a lot of Clive Tilsley talking about that wonderful night in Barcelona. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, or can Manchester United score? They always score, but that's 99 as well. Yeah, I get two. Again. Mm. Wow. So this is a Steve Bruce special. You've all asked for it. Nobody's asked for it. No, nobody's asked for it. <laughs> what we got? We asked for the Steve Bruce. He wrote astonishingly a series of three detective novels they are unbelievably expensive like 200 quid or something on Amazon someone sent us a copy we haven't got it in the room because we didn't want to spill a drink on it instead Michael scanned it and we've got it as PDFs <laughs> so we... exciting reading in PDF oh, like a yeah. sacred text I felt like I was going through Watergate yeah. <laughs> more harrowing but um, we tweeted a picture of this two it's things fun. we should quickly cover uh, that people tweeted back at us one of us apparently this has been covered on the Guardian uh, football podcast we haven't heard this, uh, so um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, we were tweeted that we didn't, and we didn't know this. Apparently, in the mid '90s, when Steve Bruce was the captain of Manchester United, he recorded a series of TV shows called Michael. Well, it's called the Captain's Log. He basically, at the tail end of the first time the Man United won the Premier League, first Premier League season, somebody thought it was a good idea with about ten games to go to give Steve Bruce a camcorder. <laughs> To, I imagine it was sharp to, <laughs> <laughs> to basically document the run in and, and mm. the sort of behind the scenes look. That is a good idea. It's a fascinating look at that period of football, but it's it's so underproduced. <laughs> it's, it's actually like you have to sift through to find the moments of God. Now, me and I finger over the lens for half. <laughs> me and I have read the book. Yep. And Chris and Michael have watched the show. Yes. Well, I think we've the got Steve the raw Bruce deal special. to be honest. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how we get on. <laughs> so what have you got for us? 
this first one. I mean, it, it starts strongly. It's basically Steve Bruce setting up the camera for the first time in his garden. <laughs> and he's, he's completely wow. unattended. Does uh, he end up getting 250 quid off Jeremy Beadle? <laughs> well, it's, it's not Don't sit off. on the swing chair, Steve! <laughs> <laughs> that patio door is closed! <laughs> <laughs> One of my favourite details is that throughout, you know, the little time and date stamp that was on the 90s, like, <laughs> yeah. it appears and disappears throughout. <laughs> you say as well that Steve Bruce is using a camcorder. You have to bear in mind, this is the mid 90s, so it's not a camcorder as you would know it. This thing is enormous. <laughs> and in the title sequence, if you can call it that, which is two pictures, two still pictures, it has Steve Bruce holding the camcorder. Honestly, he looks a bit like Robocop. He's like, he's half man, half machine. I'd love to see a graph of the size of cameras versus the size of Steve Bruce evolving in time. <laughs> so he gets smaller, he gets bigger. Right, so here is the first clip. Well, I hope the camera's working. Um, I'm fiddling about with it. I haven't a bloody clue what I'm doing. But uh, here goes. This is my first time for doing anything like this. Um, it'll probably be bloody dreadful, but uh, here we go. Um, it's my insight um, to exactly what it takes um, for my United to try and win the Premier League title. It's the quality of him talking down the camera. Feels like he's about to say, my death is because of America's veterans <laughs> <laughs> in the Middle East. <laughs> so what happens so, in the show? Tell me so it's, it's like it, that, that it's, sets it's, up that we see Steve Bruce's gone, which it's, isn't it's, massive. It's a, just a bizarre kind of like amateurist hanging out with the, that United squad. There's this a was on TV. I don't know. I've not been able to find it. I don't know if you stumbled across the fact no. that it appeared on like TV TV. But it reeks of the sort of thing that was on the There's, there's ad breaks in it, so it surely... Well, who's right, paying for that space? <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit where they're on the coach and they're going to an away game, and Andre Konchelskis is asleep, and Brucey grabs the camcorder, zooms in on Andre Konchelskis, and he utters the phrase, Andre Konchelskis could sleep on a clothesline. That is not a phrase with which I am familiar. <laughs> if you like phrases with which you're not familiar... <laughs> But that bit you were talking about on the coach, obviously it's a time pre-smartphones and people are entertaining themselves differently. There's, there's shots of Brian Robson, who's the captain at the time, uh, having to play cards with Alex Ferguson. <laughs> and it looks like the most thankless role. <laughs> He's just sort of there entertaining the gaffer. <laughs> and then there's Dion Dublin with, I can't, I'm not sure who, Clayton Blackmore maybe? Playing a game of Travel Scrabble. <laughs> The, the intellectuals of the group. <laughs> this was pre-big headphones. Yeah. All those shots of players getting off the bus to a stadium and walking through the tunnels but holding their treble scrabble <laughs> in their hands, finishing the game. <laughs> There's a couple of extra great bits we won't play the clip on, but that idea that footballers have so much downtime and you just like, what do they do when mm. they're training? Lee Sharp goes to what I think is like a bed or like a mattress superstore and wastes the time of the sales agent. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. But it's sort of openly going, oh, i just got nothing to do. Like, just going to waste someone's Whoa! time. Yeah. It's incredible. And then they go back to Ryan Giggs' house or flat and start looking through his music collection. And he oh. proudly brings out a CD of, uh, of the brand new heavies. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. This sounds brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it really isn't. It's, pe <laughs> it's peaks and troughs. Like, yeah, you, you have to stick yeah. with it. Do you get the sense that they like Bruce being there filming it? I, I don't think I, they I do. I didn't get that from I Anson I get the impression Giggs. he's respected. Yeah. 
I remember when I, um, I lived uh, very briefly in Australia where the standard of football was much, much lower. And as such, I, w- I managed to rise to the position of captain of the team whilst being massively unpopular at the school. Um, <laughs> but I had a teacher who favoured me. So I was captain and probably one of the best players. But everyone on the team was much cooler than me uh, and s- sort of not happy that I was captain and I think would tease me behind my back. So the thought of being assigned the job while on away trips, having to go and fill. <laughs> Having banter, <laughs> which I patently wasn't part of. There's a, there's a bit later on where they're talking about what they eat in the hotel, and uh, see Bruce elegant, elegantly food. explains what the what the other the footballers eat, and then he say, comes to what he eats. And he says, "I just have a piece of fish," like, <laughs> said in a way that implies like the chef found it near some bins. <laughs> well, there's, there's, I reread Steve Bruce's biography in preparation for this show. And he does have a history with me. I'll just read this little little bit please, of his preparation building up to the game. So, leading up to the game, I get up in the morning and have a bit of breakfast, lounge about for a while, and then go back to bed around midday. <laughs> I get up again around four o'clock before, before reporting for the game. I mean, God knows, this must be like a European, yeah, like an game, evening yeah. game. Um, there is always a pre-match meal at five o'clock at the ground, consisting of pasta or chicken, soup, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> now, shall we, shall we move on this to striker? Is going to be amazing. I'm so excited. About now, this. I haven't read anything about it online because I didn't want to ruin it for myself. Yes, likewise, I'm going to throw out something from the start. Mm. I still, having read it, don't believe that Steve Bruce has written this. Oh, really? That's why. Qualify that statement. I just think it's too outlandish that Steve Bruce has written a book. That's so bad. <laughs> well, I'd say more that, that veers so wildly between sort of styles and. Yeah. I mean, there's there's something quite charmingly stream of consciousness about it. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine his editors had much input. No, there's there, there seems to be absolutely no sort of bar on on Steve talking about whatever is literally occurring to him as he types. <laughs> so there'll be digressions about, there's a little riff sort of midway through. And remember, this is a story about murder, so it's supposedly quite exciting. But he'll pause in the middle of a police investigation to sort of muse on how unhappy the characters in EastEnders are. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we should explain exactly what this is. Yeah. Because it, it, yeah. it's almost too dense with stuff that I don't know how to get in. So it's, I'd say, a semi-autobiographical book. He, he's, we'll get he's, into that as well. Yeah. The character's called Steve Barnes. Mm. <laughs> he uh, now, he doesn't name. play for a real team. He plays for a team called... No, he used to play for Mulcaster United. Mulcaster, right? Uh, but, um, and he's now the manager of Leddersford Town. Yeah, now, presumably this was the time when Steve Bruce was the manager of Huddersfield Town. Yeah. Yes, he was the manager now, of Huddersfield. Now, he just talks about his career. So he was the captain of Mulcaster, yep. who are based in the northwest. Yeah, you don't uh, have to be Magnum P.I. <laughs> <laughs> but there's certain... Real places still exist. Oh, yeah. So he's from Newcastle. Right. He's not like from Newbury. Mm. Well, Newbury's a place. That's a bad example. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. That's got as bad as it could have done. <laughs> Sorry, he played for Mulcaster, or whatever they're called, and he was a captain when they ended their 27 years without a championship. <laughs> Everything about his career at Mulcaster, or whatever they're called, is exactly like his career at Man U, except... He's decided that he also won the European Cup. (laughs) (laughs) Poetic license. (laughs) But what's interesting about it, there's a lot of things which he says in it, which we'll come to, where I think, oh, no, I don't think I like you. That's interesting. But 
He pulls maybe, you back in. Maybe. It's the character of Steve Barnes. He's just painting a good character. <laughs> Why am I judging Steve Bruce by Steve Barnes? The Stuart Lee defence. <laughs> <laughs> it was Steve Barnes who said that, wasn't it? <laughs> So, what is Steve Barnes like as a as a person, as a character? So, uh, <laughs> oh, it's a big question. So I, don't, uh, I said so too hastily there. I would happily pass it over to Josh. No, um, you go over. So I I didn't know much about this. As Josh said, I, I also went in as sort of blind as possible. I was sent the PDF of it. Uh, I was reading it uh, last night. So not to not to brag too much, but today I'm not only recording this podcast, but also appeared on topical uh, Channel Five online show Comedy Big Maths. So uh, my partner went to bed at about eleven thirty last night, and I said that I was going to stay up reading about the French presidential election. <laughs> Because <laughs> the old lie. Because <laughs> that was that was the topic of today's comedy big yeah. um, However, we can be confident Carrie doesn't listen to Quickly Kevin. <laughs> 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 Stupid. Yeah. Sorry, it's the character of Steve. Yeah. Um, but so uh, I'd just been sent the PDF of this, so that would come much later. So the thought that Carrie could have been awake and hearing me uh, sort of notionally reading about the French Fred's election but actually sitting in my living room laughing at Steve Bruce's <laughs> football novel as I went through it. It, it, was, uh, it, was, it was just great. Should we talk about any other bigger issues or should we just go through it? Just what? go through it. Just go through it. So the well, character is yeah. him and it's a murder mystery when he's, uh, when he's the manager of Huddersfield or Leddersford as they are yeah. here. And I became can, upset. Can I just give the, how close it is to Huddersfield? Mm. He has to go down the M62 to Yorkshire <laughs> to get there. So there, it's the right area. Mm. I don't know if you remember in the, the late 90s, Huddersfield were the first teams to get a new stadium. And it, the Alpha yeah. Mac Alpine, it famously yeah. had those kind yep. of yeah. stands. And he, Leddersfield had just got a similar stadium that he says has like these archways <laughs> that stand out. <laughs> and you're just like, just change the design of the yeah. stadium. <laughs> It's very weird the way that he changes everything that he's been involved with, every club. But then, as you say, everything else stays the same. And occasionally, in the same sentence, he'll just be listing place names. He'll say, Birmingham, Leeds, Mulcaster. And I became obsessed with the overlap between the fake places and what he was sort of falsifying. So he's got an enemy who's his assistant manager in a book who's called um, someone Carberry, Eddie Eddie Carberry. And I became obsessed with trying to find out who Eddie Carberry was in real life. (laughs) I just had visions of Steve Bruce, who clearly still lives in Cheshire, but is married in real life, but is working in Huddersfield. He's doing that two hour round trip every day, (laughs) driving the M62, livid at his assistant. There's a book in this. (laughs) (laughs) So the situation with the assistant, Steve's come in, he's quite a... uh, Steve Barnes, he's quite a modern manager. Carberry's been there, wanted the job, didn't didn't get it. Has been demoted to a... Now, in the scene one, at page one, Carberry finds Steve Barnes over this corpse with holding the knife. (laughs) Bright red blood on the knife blade, the knife in my hand. Duffy's dead body stretched out on the locker room floor. And to cap it all, that's when Carberry opens the door. I didn't do it, I said weakly. W E A K L. Why not? No, I didn't say a week. <laughs> <laughs> it was another week and I was. Fortnightly, maybe. I didn't do it, I said weakly. And England didn't win the World Cup in 66, he sneered. <laughs> 
put the knife down. Even then it occurred to me that my prints were on the handle. It was half past ten in the morning. What started as just another Monday had suddenly turned pear-shaped. 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 <laughs> now that's when you know you're in for quite some quite leaden prose, I'd say. <laughs> now, early on I thought he's... I don't know what he's read. I'd be interested to know how well read Steve Bruce is on crime fiction. There's a strange moment about 50 pages in when he riffs into discussing the bit from um, Sherlock Holmes's Silver Blows. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> where um, Sherlock Holmes it became the title of The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. One of the things Sherlock Holmes says is, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime is he didn't bark, so the person that committed the murder must have known the dog. Yeah. But Steve Bruce brings that in prior probably to The Curious Incident being <laughs> the book. He bark hadn't to it. But he then he brings it in as if to go, and he goes, like in that, Sometimes you get this spark. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you just... And his spark is, if the player turned his back and was stabbed in the back, he knew the murderer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he, yeah, seems, he seems kind of well-read, but he's trying to do kind of Raymond Chandler-esque. Mm. <laughs> so there's early on, even though it's set in Huddersfield, it's written like it's kind of noir, kind of... Well, page seven. He certainly seems to have what it takes already, Sir Lawrence said smiling with a satisfied assurance of a guy with a million bucks in the bank. <laughs> a million bucks! But this is the thing, he's weirdly, so, uh, and I don't know how much this relates to his sort of real life, he's very reverent of his of his chairman. So yeah. the, the chairman, he notes constantly that, ch- that the chairman is very rich, has got sort of fingers in lots of different pies, yeah. and has a way with words. Yeah. It's this sort of he real humble, this. like whenever the chairman says something even remotely florid, Steve will pause to sort of think about how incredibly articulate the chairman is. <laughs> One of the issues we have to discuss at some point is quite how little care he has, or the club has, or the way the week plays out for the fact there's been a murder. (laughs) (laughs) The fact the match they play that the whole thing's building up to mm. is even played is out it, on this one so so how when does the murder happen match, before the big match uh, m- murder Monday morning match Friday night because it's on Sky he says that <laughs> <laughs> so the story of the book is, is it starts with yeah, him discovering his body and it, the week is him defending himself from allegations that he's the murderer him trying to solve the crime himself but him also trying to hold on to control of the team ahead of Friday's promotion six pointer with Fulton <laughs> because this this Carberry nemesis, the yeah. assistant who finds him with the knife, is also going to use this to usurp control of the team. So you've got this amazing mix of genuine sort of murder thriller, but also Steve just trying to keep control of like tactical decision making. <laughs> 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 that, that blurring often comes in at the most inopportune moment. So he'll reference football when he's like, his life is. Just about to be in. Oh, this, the the best sentence of the entire book for me <laughs> is when, and we will go through it sort of chronologically. But about halfway through, he's getting beaten up by a couple of heavies, and what? when he gets attacked, he drops his shoulder like Darren Huckabee. <laughs> <laughs> You get a book which reveals such a level of knowledge and genuine insight into how a football club is run and relations with the chairman, relations with assistants, relations with agents, relations with the press, combined with a murder mystery story written by a yeah. man with almost no knowledge of, <laughs> <laughs> of, of crime, yeah. works of crime investigation. Um, can we discuss the character of the receptionist? 
His yep. PA, Absolutely. Julie. Yep, okay. So he's got a PA, Julie, who he holds in as much awe as Sir yeah, Lawrence. Yeah, but she gets the job done. Um, but there's an amazing kind of running riff that throughout this big week, this is also the week that Steve is introduced to Chamomile <laughs> Tea. <laughs> For the first time. And so this is when he's been found with the body very early on, his life's fallen apart. My pulse was racing, my mind was in a daze, and the last thing I needed was coffee to raise my blood pressure. I have some chamomile tea, Julie said. What the hell do I need herbal tea for, I asked. Calms you down, Julie replied. Do you drink the stuff, I asked. All the time, Julie smiled. Working with you, I need all the help I can get. (laughs) I'll try, I told her. He then goes on to riff about how much he drinks chamomile tea four or five times. (laughs) It's like a sort of creaking dinosaur opening himself up to the new world. (laughs) There are lots of ways in which, you know, he's a a sort of centre-back stalwart. He's a sort of old-fashioned guy in lots of ways. But he's he's sort of getting to grips with with modern life. It's very 90s, the book, in lots of ways. One of my favourite sentences, a real sort of like Alan Partridge at the dawn of new technology, is when he he calls his assistant. He says, and he's very angry because obviously the the assistant is is the sort of nemesis of the story. He calls Carberry. And the sentence says, he knew full well who was calling. He has my number in the phone's memory. (laughs) (laughs) So the early three, he's he's found with with the knife. He's taken it out of the back. And then you go back through his career for totally no reason. Yep. (laughs) Which is just Steve Bruce's career rehashed (laughs) with different names in the European Cup. And then you find out this player that was stabbed who was like this 18-year-old Irish striker who was going to be the next Ryan gig. But he's insistent that, that Steve's plan was to blood him into the first team slowly. He okay. didn't want to rush his, his sort of development. Yeah, until uh, Sir Lawrence had a, had a word in his ear. Yeah, so he's torn as the manager between yeah. wanting to nurture a young player correctly but also want to satisfy the chairman. There's also a striker who's losing his place to this guy. So he's a Oh, OK. Uh, this, yeah. this guy sounds like a character of note. Yeah. Well done, Chris. <laughs> staying up to this and then basically gets arrested mm. for the murder Carberry's delighted Carberry takes over <gasps> now though I don't know why the big match is on a Friday I think the previous big match was on a Friday he likes playing on a Friday because he gets to have a relaxing weekend did I say relaxing my wife insisted we go shopping <laughs> <laughs> We should talk about the attitude to women. Right, yeah. He, now, I would say he I'd say he loves his wife and he talks very fondly of her and she says, he says she's very supportive and he doesn't even really... He describes her as his rock at least three times. Yeah. In fact, the, the, the most lyrical bit of the book is where I think he talks about her as his... his uh, something like the steady you can hear me sifting through the steady point in a turning and often turbulent world (laughs) (laughs) but there there are a couple of sort of you know frustrated husband sort of things inevitably Uh, a little riff about how much you have to apologise as a husband but bear in mind that's one of the weirdest because he says when you're a husband, you have to apologise, even when it isn't your fault. And this is when he's, like, been away because he's been involved in a murder investigation. Like, <laughs> she's got every right to be angry. <laughs> so then he decides he's going to have to investigate it himself. Now, he then ends up going on to the pitch late at night, having had an argument with the striker, Jimmy, who's got his place back because Carberry has taken over. Mm. It's dark on the pitch, but he looks into the offices, which are still lit up, and he sees Jimmy in an office attempting to open a filing cabinet. 
Ooh. But he can't, he can't open it. So he puts his foot on a chair, hoists his trouser leg up, revealing he has cowboy boots on. And How can he see this sort of bitch? This is like limitless. <laughs> and has he got a telescope? And above it? the cowboy boots, he has a knife and a sheath. <laughs> Shut up! No, he doesn't. He does. Oh Which he takes God. out to try and to Jimmy, no pun intended, the drawer open of the filing yeah. cabinet. Hang on. And then he decides to give chase to Jimmy. And that's, that's yeah. My this is so when far. it really gets going. Can I just say at this point, I was thinking I do want to know who's done this. Oh yeah, completely. And I do think there's a, a neat little bit of storytelling in that there are red herrings laid. Yeah. You know, you, you, I don't think you really can... I think you probably can. Get to it, <laughs> no, he, has, he has a real horrible habit of pointing out what's going to be important by going... <laughs> yeah. And then I, and then I, uh, I got up and then I thought, I'm going to wear my tracksuit instead of my suit. Little did I know that would save my life just two hours later. <laughs> Which I was so excited about. Yeah. I, was so, I was running through my head how that <laughs> <track> was going <laughs> to one o'clock in the morning in my flat last night. How's a tractor going to save his life? I think he'd have been fine in a suit as well. It made no difference. But we'll get to that. So by night, he's pursuing the club's uh, controversial strike, having watched him trying to break into the files. And this is when he gets into his Jaguar XJ8. <laughs> Which is the absolute highlight of the book yeah he's obsessed with his adjacuration <laughs> to the point where it's like an advert for it oh completely and <laughs> it's 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 the chase it for me is the the key bit oh, of the book Okay. Is how into his Jaguar XJ8 it is. I'd he happily is. read a, a paragraph about the yes, Jaguar XJ8. So th- this is when he's uh, pursued Jimmy to a sort of car park uh, and he's got out the car. I locked the car with central locking. The XJ8 has a good security system with ultrasonic intrusion sensing, radio frequency remote control, and engine immobilizer. All necessary, this is a desirable motor. Another driver cranes his neck to get a good view of the Jag. Why not? It's an attractive motor. He says at one point, I can play my favorite music soft or loud, depending on the music and my mood. And then when he gets back in the car later, he says, I eased myself into the comfortable seat. The head restraint and the lumbar or back support were in the correct position. <laughs> it's unbelievably partridge. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Is he because the word count? This is, yeah, that, it does feel like he goes off on these tangents and they're often really important bits. Yeah. So <laughs> he that is at the height of, of a, a car chase. <laughs> <laughs> he's also he's really interested in like the geography of the northern countryside. Oh, it really fascinates him. So it'll be like driving in a car chase or whatever along the M62 and it'll be like mainly it built on peat. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he refers to he refers to both the Ice Age and the Bronze Age. <laughs> So he pursues Jimmy the striker in his XJ8. He then parks the car outside a sort of yard and he follows Jimmy into this building. And this is another of my, uh, just, I love the description of the building he yeah. enters. I found myself in an ill-lit corridor. At the end, there was a store place with lots of dead chickens hanging on hooks. In addition, there were fridges and an ice-making machine. Whatever this place was and whatever it did, food and drink were part of the operation. <laughs> his detective skills all over the place absolutely brilliant so he sees a security guard uh, reading if I told you how do you think Steve Bruce describes something like FHM or nuts lads mag boorish lads mag 
a flash magazine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so he goes in, he's followed Jimmy into this place that's run by a kind of um, eccentric homosexual. Oh, yeah, and this again it is a slightly does he outdated use that phrase. He, no, he, doesn't he never pre- says it, does he? No, he doesn't say homosexual. He says, uh, so he, he goes into this, it, it turns out it's a, it's a sort of seedy nightclub. He gets beaten up by a couple of heavies, which is when he drops his shoulder like Darren Huckabee. But then, Oh, can I just say after he gets beaten up? Oh, yeah. He beats them up or whatever. And then he, he yells, I looked up the CCTV. Someone come down here and clean up, yeah. I snapped. I was angry. That doesn't happen often. But when it does, I'm no pussycat. Unless you want a breed of tiger or leopard. <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's beaten the heavies. He's, yeah. he's kicked one of them in the face, like booting the ball from defence to the touchline. <laughs> so everything comes back to football as much as possible. And then he meets this club owner. Club owner congratulates him on how fit he is because he's beaten up his henchmen. <laughs> and, uh, and Steve says, it was clear from his words that he was no ladies' man. <laughs> oh, there we go. I'm afraid. Yeah. And then later on, he says to the he says to the club owner, "I would beat you up if it wasn't for the fact you'd probably enjoy it." So that's but it was the literature of the age, you know. There was a, oh, there was a lot of paranoia in the football world about that. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, it's revealed that this guy runs a kind of gambling and drugs den for the Cheshire set. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Jimmy's in there. Ask, Jimmy's me, exactly. ask me which drugs uh, Jimmy takes. Just, just Weed, cigarettes. The white stuff. The white stuff. <laughs> Personal. <laughs> um, so he takes the white. Jimmy's taking the white stuff. Also, for no reason, Steve Barnes. I don't know. I'd be interested to know whether Steve Bruce is teetotal. Because Steve Barnes is teetotal throughout, but he doesn't really have any reason. No. And he talks it doesn't about, really play into his character. No, and he talks about how he'd like a drink, but he's trying to stay focused and things. <laughs> and obviously he's got this burgeoning chamomile tea dependency, which is really taking it away. <laughs> I should just say, also, I can't articulate the lack of care that either Barnes or the chairman have for the victim of the murder. <laughs> <laughs> For instance, right, and now one person was hurt in that Borussia Dortmund attack. Yeah. And we saw quite what a kind of effect that had on the team. Mm. To be like serious, where that yeah. had a massive effect on the team and what effect that had on the club and on the fixture as a whole. If someone was murdered at the stadium who was in the first team of a football squad, that team would not be trying to argue over who was playing against Fulton on Friday. <laughs> within, within an hour. One thing I don't understand, why is he stood there with the knife in front of the dead oh, body? he walks in. Picks, oh. Picks it out of his he back. Takes it, he takes the knife out right. of his back, an okay. astonishing error of judgment. <laughs> but yeah, there's no doubt, I mean, I know occasionally you get these very modern uh, dramas where you suspect that the narrator might actually be the criminal, but yeah. you do, I don't think he's trying to hint at that. Okay. <laughs> he says explicitly that he'd taken the knife out of the guy's back, yeah. and that was and a mistake. I, <laughs> it's and not then, the usual suspect. No, it's not the usual suspect, exactly. There is no Steve Bond. No. <laughs> the greatest trick <laughs> <laughs> Steve Bond ever pulled was to go 442. <laughs> there is a real digression at one point into footballers being papped. And he talks about when he was a footballer and he got papped coming out of a nightclub and two women just put themselves on his arm. And then they chopped his teammates out of the photo. So why Sue's nice but the others not in the photographs? I had to explain that with modern scanning techniques and a strong pair of scissors, 
Photographs can be falsified. <laughs> Two people on a boat far away can be made to appear right next to each other. You don't believe me? It happened to Princess Diana and Dodie Fired. <laughs> Which is also too not soon. the only too reference soon. to the death of Princess Diana in the book. <laughs> because he also says when he comes back to the club the day after the murder, he says uh, he, there, there are flowers for the dead striker left outside the stadium, but not that many. Not exactly Kensington Palace proportions after the death of Diana. <laughs> So he's obsessed with... with I mean, it's Diana. two years after, it's quite a big event, but still. <laughs> also, there's an implication there that he thinks that the relationship of Diana and Dodie Fired was falsified. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think has ever been, yeah, like... no one's ever come up with this never theory. Been By a long lens and a pair of scissors. <laughs> yeah. strong, strong scissors. Strong scissors. <laughs> or, I mean, there are a few things. There's also... I mean, this is maybe going in a bit too deep, but there's a, there's a great uh, sort of chronological thing where the book is set in 1999. It talks a lot about the football world of the late 90s. And he's a 38-year-old sort of new manager, ex-player in that. But it also it says that he was a boyhood fan, this character Steve Barnes, of Alan Shearer. So, like, that was his footballing hero was growing up. So if you work backwards, that would have been him being a fan of Shearer before, like, when Shearer was, like, 10 years old. <laughs> so the chronology isn't, isn't perfect. <laughs> There's also, uh, I didn't cross-reference, this one point where he says he played for six different clubs before Mulcaster, mm. and one where he says he's only ever had two managers. Right. And you just, unless there was one manager that like took him round, like, you know how, you know how like Neil Warnock often signs the same player yeah, again yeah. and again and again? Redknapp and Cranshaw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the following morning, uh, he gets up, he puts on his tracksuit and trainers, he foreshadows the importance of the tracksuit and trainers, intriguingly, and then as he's about to get into his car and go off to training, uh, he gets kidnapped by men he quickly deduces are Irish, possibly relatives of the dead Irish striker Duffy. Yeah, the what, Irish thing for me, doesn't, I don't feel totally comfortable with no, it. No, it's a bit ham-fisted. It's a bit of a, a it's a bit of a trouble. There's, a, ref- oh, okay. yeah, there's right. a reference to his worries about being kneecapped at one yeah. point. Because <laughs> they've got a gun. He says, I looked at their gun. This is a subject about which I'm ignorant. It could have been a Browning or a Mauser. The crucial knowledge was that it was a killing weapon. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets kidnapped. So he's, he's on the Pennines. Uh, and, and he's essentially getting frog marched to get, uh, he thinks, kneecapped in, in sort of the deserted Pennines. And one of his kidnappers is very fit. The other one was finding the exercise a bit difficult. He was not in the best physical shape. Few people are. There's lots of ruminations about, like, keeping yourself in good shape. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of the non-drinking chamomile tea thing. Yeah, it, I think Steve Bruce, if I had to guess, at around the age of 33, has had a real moment where he's gone... I need to change my ways. My body is a temple. My body is a temple. <laughs> yeah. That really comes through in there. Which yeah. is sort of cruelly ironic, given he's, you know, he's a bit of a punchline for like fat managers. <laughs> like, the sense you get is that he's very, he's very proud of his fitness. There's a lovely bit where he, he sort of worries about um, shitting himself when he dies. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because because of that sort of bowel movements when people die and stuff. The ultimate indignity. The ultimate indignity. But he's spared that because he, he escapes from the men. Uh, so he's, he's chased across the Pennines by his ki- Irish kidnapper. So he's legged it? He's legged it on the Pennines. And he manages to cross a sort of stream which he's able to maintain his footing on because of his trainers, you see. <laughs> um, but this is a great example of when he... He's at the edge of death and then segues into needless detail. <laughs> so this is when he's running away and he's going, 
To one side I can make out the reservoirs. These reservoirs, dotted everywhere in hidden valleys, are themselves fed by water from upland streams. The previous summer had been a wet one and the streams were torrent still. In order to facilitate the collection of hill water, the authorities, the water board, constructed concrete water courses. <laughs> These allowed a faster and more efficient collection of rainwater. And it's like these kind of weird details. <laughs> that I'm, I'd love to know whether Steve Bruce like goes walking in the peaks mm. and has got this acquired knowledge that he wants to... Or if he's gone, and then he'll run into the peaks. I should read a book on that. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. Which came first? Because if it's the first option, it does read like a book where the editor or whoever has said, if you have any side knowledge on any of the issues you touch upon, include all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the reasons he's doing the book is he feels that the character Steve Barnes ruminates four or five times on his bad GCSE results. <laughs> <laughs> but he mentions that he had a good one in English. Yeah, he was. Like English was. English was the yeah. one he enjoyed more. Yeah. Well, he has form here. In the autobiography, there is a moment where he mentions his lack of schooling. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He makes a point of, um, I think, Clayton Blackmore has a sense of humour that Steve Bruce just doesn't understand <laughs> because he's, he's not clever enough. Oh, no, Steve! Oh, Steve! Oh, oh, he's really, it's a real chip on his shoulder. And then it actually comes up towards the end that it's, it's a key plot device mm. is levels of schooling. I don't know if that, I mean, how you felt about that one either. He says, my GCSE results were not the best in the school. Mind you, there must be many of my schoolmates who wish they had made it in senior soccer. There's just few little humble breaks. Like <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's bits like this. So he's talking about a couple that we'll get to later. And he says, um, he, he's talking to them, to Julie about them. He says, a pair of star-crossed lovers, I said to Julie. She looked surprised. Sounds clever, Steve. You have a way with words. Not me. Old Bill Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 <laughs> Has he changed his name as well? And <laughs> 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 the reality. <laughs> so what's happened now? With Sorry. So he gets taken out onto the moors. So he's out the moors. He's run away. He's run away. He goes down one of those water chutes into yeah. the reservoir to get away from them. Nearly drowns in the reservoir. Nearly drowns. Is this the fugitive? It's quite like the fugitive, isn't it? It is a bit like the fugitive. He escapes yeah. down yeah. Yeah. The fugitive would have been before this. Was, yeah, is he ripping 93, the 94 was a fugitive. Yeah. Yeah. The fugitive, he's trying to solve the crime whilst also being accused of the crime. <laughs> yeah. He is like a cultural magpie, Steve Bruce. Yeah. He's just wow. taking all these references. That's, the scene. that's just the end of the fugitive, isn't it? Steve Bruce would now do a paragraph on the fugitive. Yeah, of course. He'd go, oh, I slipped down into the reservoir, like in The Fugitive. <laughs> Although for me, Harrison Ford's best work was Star Wars. <laughs> and I think it was Steve Barnes throughout, the, throughout it. As Steve Bruce? Yeah. I tried not to. I did, which I found very harrowing. When he gets out of the reservoir, right, in his wet clothes, oh. <laughs> to get hitching, just deal with the wet clothes. We've all been in wet clothes. We've all fallen in a river or whatever. Yeah. yeah. He instead decides to strip naked <laughs> and dry his clothes on the moors. Not totally dry. You never get it totally dry, no, he says don't. that. But it's just like, what are you doing? He's You've just, got murderers on your tail. And you say you're being pursued. <laughs> You've decided to run naked. your clothes off. <laughs> running naked across the moors. And he still manages the game on the Friday. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, 
Right. Amazing. Right. So then we get to. Uh, so he's so he's escaped that. Then he's gone. Uh, he's he's got. He uh, swims out the reservoir. Right. He's gone back. Uh, he gets uh, picked up by a police car. Yeah. One of the policemen's a bit rude. It's a female policeman, and he says, "Forget about the gentleness and the opposite sex. She was a copper first and a woman second. So when he's talking to the um, WPC, there's for me one of the most insane bits of the book, and that you know, where do you draw the line? And then one of them says, "Take letters filled up, and you'll be the talk of the town." The driver said. I smiled. That was a nice play on words. Talk of the town, Leddersfield town. <laughs> not, not that the, is not a nice play on words. I'm reaching to understand what the play on words is. There's another on the side. The next page. This is in a policeman's office. Shannon's office was small. There was paper everywhere. On his desk was a PC, a personal computer, not a police constable. (laughs) 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 What are you doing? Just lovely little comedy digressions throughout. I think that thing about the the sort of play on words of the town. He talks throughout, even though some bits are quite genuinely lyrical and moving and articulate, there are other bits where he's like an alien discovering sort of idiom for the first time. So whenever he stumbles upon a turn of phrase that's sort of coincidentally related to the story, he's absolutely thrilled by it. When he describes the fact that he's literally been caught red-handed because he's got blood (laughs) on his hands or refers to someone stabbing themselves in the back, uh, you know, because actually someone had been stabbed in the back <laughs> or you know um, there's one other bit about like someone tells him to watch his back and he says alarmingly apt since Duffy had been stabbed in the back <laughs> <laughs> he's just delighted by any yeah, sort of yeah. like, language that's used throughout but not so there's also I just need to get into the fact that he's obsessed with DNA he thinks it's the answer mm. so he says you'll be cleared because of DNA and you're like that's not going to clear him of the murder when he's picked up the murder yeah. weapon. He expresses relief at one point that he hasn't salivated on the dead body of Duffy. <laughs> really? Really? Oh, my word. Now, so then he gets a visit. Uh, he gets visited by a, a pregnant woman. His assistant does him as a, oh, as this a, as a is, pregnant See, this is now the business end of the season. Yeah. And this is this is great. A lovely little observation about the life of professional football, which I imagine probably does relate to a lot of people's experience and, and sort of various scandals. So he's like, why, why is this pregnant girl coming to see me? Oh, this is awful. As soon as a guy receives a bit of public notice or notoriety, there's always some disturbed female anxious to claim the guy has fathered her oh child. <laughs> it may be a wish to make money or be a symptom of emotional disturbance. Either way, count me out. <laughs> However... <laughs> He does that. He then turns quite quickly when he sees this girl, and he comments, "This is unbelievable." The, the girl was a stunner, even in an advanced stage of pregnancy, <laughs> when many females do not look their best. She was remarkably <laughs> pregnant. Wow. This is mad. This is like reading Steve Bruce's diary. And as a Manchester United and Steve Bruce fan prior to this, I was getting ready to defend him. Mm. I had a whole list of his career achievements. But... <laughs> I'm not getting involved in this. I'm my hands of this. What I would say, I, I, I think we've touched on already, I think he's a good guy. I think he's a slightly sort of mad writer and a sort of madly impulsive writer. But yeah. he's got a, a sort of a sense of personal dignity and honour and loyalty and he's very fond of his chairman. He loves the club. He just wants to do things right. He's very close to his agent. He wants to nurture Duffy into the team. He's gutted that Duffy's dead. No, no, he's, he's, no he's not. Well, no, he's embarrassed about his, his link to it. He's just glad he hasn't spat on the corpse. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's not a terrible man. But No, there's a more... There is a bit later on about the pregnant woman. Okay, I was going to say, is, is she, does she remain relevant? Mm. Well, yeah, yeah. She's not just fit for, for no. her stage of pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I gestured towards the door. Martin and Michelle stood up. In her case, with more agility than I would have expected from a woman so far gone with child. Still, what did I know on such things? My wife had remained remarkably fit and healthy while carrying each of our two children. Pregnancy is a normal condition, not an illness. <laughs> <laughs> so that's quite a kind of, that's kind of positive yeah, modern yeah. view. He feels a bit like he's a man slightly trying to move this time and get into chamomile tea and stuff. It's just mad. <laughs> so then the, the pregnant woman turns up to talk to him about the murder. There's this added excitement that the, uh, the PA, Julie, has said to Steve. She said to Julie, she's pregnant by the murderer of Duffy. Ooh. Whoa, 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 whoa. The, uh, the captain of the team, the central defender, Martin, storms in at that point. He's previously been a sort of a loyalist to Steve, yeah. a sort of his rock in the centre of the team. But he comes in and he has a, has a mad row with Michelle, uh, uh, this pregnant woman, and it becomes clear that he's a former flame of hers. And he, and he shouts obscenities at her. But, he, but Martin's not the killer either. No, but he is the father of the child. Martin is the father but of the child. But then it gets transpired that Michelle has just said that. Uh, to the PA in an attempt to get access to Steve. So it's just so muddied at this point. <laughs> and, but even throughout all of this, you're sort of trying to keep up with this relentless sort of, you know, series of plot twists. But you keep getting sort of little side drifts, like when he says, if football collapsed, I could always invest some of my savings in that partnership with Dad. Not related to anything. <laughs> no mention before or since. <laughs> but he's worrying about the future of his career and what else he might do. So then we come to the kind of end. Now, it, it climaxes with the game against Fulton. Yep. He's got no strikers, one of them's dead. The other, um, he's got rid of because he takes too much of the white stuff. And um, and so he puts in two 18-year-olds that have never played for the team yeah. before. The game begins. Eddie Carberry. Oh, by the way, just before the game, a, uh, a local weapons club or something? Oh, yeah, has been Territorial robbed. Army has been, has been robbed of some guns. Just apropos of nothing. It's relevant. Stay uh, there. <laughs> Keep it in your mind, Chris. <laughs> There's so we've also skipped him getting beaten up in his own home as well. Someone breaking his own yeah, home. By an intruder for he's no a, reason. What a week! <laughs> and he hates the fact that he's been beaten up in his own home because he says another of my top three quotes in the book. He says, "An Englishman's home is his castle." That applies to other nations too. <laughs> So you can relate to that. Okay. If, you're, if you're reading in Hungary, imagine getting beaten up in your own home. I'm sure it's the same. So then, it's a big game against Fulton. It's on Sky. There's no way show it. There's no mention of him in it. Silence. Nope. <laughs> and then um, Eddie Carberry's turned up with a uh, cricket bag. Which is unusually long. Right, An unusually okay. long cricket. Okay. Uh, remember the stolen weapons? Yeah. Now here's, here's this villainous assistant with an unusually long cricket bag. So what's going on? We play so, football here, Carberry. Oh, by the way, before the match, Steve Barnes has had a kind of premonition that it would all come to an end at the match was someone trying to kill him right. but has continued to manage the team at this match <laughs> rather than Steve Barnes get the hell out of Dodge Town he decides to don a bulletproof jacket for a second <laughs> <laughs> well not only this there's a point where he does get shot at when he's next to a football which explodes the crowd don't realise the football's explode because it's been shot at the game continues what's the whole accelerating at a ludicrous pace by this point the last five pages of the book are so fast yeah. you know when you're in a book so you know what page it's ending on and you're like 
Michael's <laughs> in the full PDF. Michael's, Michael's missed out the last 10 pages. I mean, I, up until that point, I was just clinging on. Now, now someone's football. shot a football in the ground. So he picks the ball, the ball comes off. Yeah. Bruce, I'm uh, sorry, Barnes catches Does, it. Is it the sort of thing? Bang! Goes the football, it's been shot. Is it one of those classic, like someone bending over at the perfect moment? So I don't know. Yeah, Bruce. Because what I don't understand is if I was so is the in the range. sky gantry shooting a manager, <laughs> okay, so it's like why a, would I wait for the play to be near him? <laughs> Surely so you'd wait a, for the play to be at the other end. It's a, it's a sniper. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's Carberry yeah, right. in the Sky it's, Gantry. It's, it's definitely Carberry now. Yeah. Yeah. Does Carberry have any training? Oh, yeah, he mentioned it. Carberry was in the TAs. Carberry was in the TAs. He's mentioned that as well. I'm not sure they train snipers in the TA. And Carberry's assistant. Is he not going, why is he in the dugout? Why is he in the Gantry? That's a good point. Let's go over that. Why is he selected by this point? No, yes. I don't think he has sacked him. He's still wrestling with him for control of the team. Okay, so in the end, it I can't believe people care about the result of the game. I've got to go back on this. Yeah, there's so much focus on the result of the game that blows my mind. Like, Is you know that Borussia last... Dortmund game. Yeah, no one really was thinking about the result of that game. <laughs> no, yeah, especially not Thomas Tuchel, who was running around Monaco looking for the bomber. <laughs> 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 So what happens at the end is they find out that Eddie Carberry is the father of the pregnant girl and Not Pat Duffy, the Irishman that was killed, had got involved with her. So Eddie Carberry, the assistant, who in paragraph two we thought might have done the murder, did the murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's I a, am so disappointed in this a bit conclusion. Of, it, it's a bit of a shame that it's Carberry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's the number one suspect from the start. This is a murder mystery. It's no mystery at all. I know. No it's one's more disappointed. Well, there's a lot of twists and turns to get back to the same place. Yeah, I think that's quite, you know. And the story, well, the story then ends incredibly abruptly with him. He's, he's in bed with his wife. He's, he's had an alcoholic drink for the first time. Yeah, he has I a think champagne. A, I think he's had a few. Oh, by the way, they win 4-1 against Fulton and the two young players score two goals each. Yeah. <laughs> That's a real happy ending as far as I'm wow. concerned. Youth keeps coming through the system, ultimately. Like, it's, it's unfair to just go, it's a mess. Because it, of course it is, because this whole book brings home quite how encompassing managing a football team is <laughs> mm. so what, of course you haven't got the time to write a murder mystery no and it's, and it's constantly you're, you're getting your football fill as well there's a, there's a little riff about the value of sticking with managers after relegation and so he talks about Peter Reid and Alan Kerbishley and saying that it's good for clubs <laughs> to stick with their managers so they bring them back up you know, there's, there's lots of football all the way through. There's Alan Hansen uh, pops in at one oh, yeah. point. He says, for, for, for all his quiet approach, Alan Hansen has a wicked sense of humour and a very low golf handicap, as I know well enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, clang. clang. Yeah, that's, that's all you get about Hansen. Oh, wow. You, can I just say you were going to defend Steve Bruce? I have no interest in defending him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, judge the man, not the art, but there are some questionable things have been written, which is what I want to get But to remember, the... all the things he says are Steve Barnes. Well, yeah, are they? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, thank you um, for listening to it. It was genuinely... Yeah. I loved reading it. It was great, and I think he wrote it. I think it's... I think do you? Yeah, I think it's it's written with, with passion and with, with how much, real... How much do you think that is like the first draft? 
I can't. Well, I mean, and the one thing I would say, I don't wish to sort of, you know, just laugh at like typos and stuff because I don't think that's too, you know, too interesting. And Steve Bruce is a far better manager than I am a writer. Um, and but I he does that. cap down the R of Republic of Ireland. Yeah, which quite, quite, quite a lot. Yeah, there's, well, he, uh, he calls Ryan Giggs buying gigs in this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's typo ridden, and there's lots of things that an editor like he uses the same phrase. Like he says, "the ghost of a smile" three times. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of, but then that's the idiosyncrasies of his stream of consciousness narrative. I would say the the defining quote, he says, another lovely philosophical point, he says, time is a strange thing. You sit through an exciting film or play a good game and 90 minutes pass as if there were five. On other occasions, you think you've been bored out of your mind for an hour and when you check the time, only five minutes have elapsed. Now, I would say you could say both of those things about Strike. It's a book which is so exciting and boring at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a lovely note to end yeah. on. Thank you, Ivo. Thank you for having me for this. Ivo Graham, thank you very much. Uh, before we go, uh, we should thank uh, Matthew Wilson, who owns that book. I'd love to know, Matthew, uh, how you got hold of it. And we should also say that if anybody listening has a copy of Defender and or Sweeper, yeah. please, please, we really want can we borrow? A series so we don't two. make yeah. us spend 200 quid. <laughs> <laughs> Although we will. All right, it's time now to read out some reviews. We like to read some reviews that feature niche 90s footballers, the winner of which uh, Michael picks, and they appear in the titles. Next week, we've got one here. I stumbled into this podcast for a similar and related suggestion, having listened to the Paolo Di Canio audiobook. Now I fall over myself to download each new episode. That's Paul Alcock. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Um, This podcast is very versatile. Normally listen to it on my way to work, but once in a while, I will listen at home if needed. Uh, Paul Warhurst. Oh, I said yeah. that one in. Now this one is in. Welcome is, home for Paul Warhurst to strike or defence because <laughs> he can do both. This one is not necessarily a uh, '90s footballer, but I enjoyed the reference enough and thought it might be quite funny to feature this particular act in the opening title sequence. Oh, this sounds good. Here we go. I believe this boy, Danny boy, ain't misbehaving. Up on the roof, the sun ain't gonna shine anymore. If I can dream, there'll be blue birds over the white cliffs of Dover. I'll come running back to you. You'll never walk alone, little Latin loopy Lou Eleanor. Oh, pretty woman, what becomes of the brokenhearted? And that's from Robson and Jerome. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm tempted to pick Robson and Jerome. Robson and Jerome, why not? How, how am I, what am I you, finding you to put them? A bit of, up on the, bit of them seeing up on the roof. No, Just... no, no, you get a piece of Top of the Pops with someone going, and number one this week, it's Robson and Jerome. <laughs> okay, then that, yeah, that's doable. Having to blend a Robson and Jerome song into oh, yeah. the title music of our, yeah, okay. You're not Phil Spector. <laughs> yeah. Thank God, <laughs> really. God, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Gun at our heads. No, let's not go into that. <laughs> um, here's how you can get in touch with the show. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin and sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. That's it. Thank you very much. We'll speak to you next week. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.